Hey, this is Alan from Praise. So glad that you are checking out this message from our Sunday morning service. We're right in the middle of a series about the Holy Spirit. All we're doing is we're reading about how the Holy Spirit has moved in ages past in order to better understand how he might move today in unique ways where our world might be primed for him to move in our midst. We're calling it the Holy Spirit, rethinking the spirit of our age. Thank you again for checking it out. And I just believe that God's going to move uniquely in your life as a result. God bless. Yeah, that's the last time you're going to hear that sweet beat. Last time you're going to get an awesome bumper video like that for a while. Um, and we will have to make sure there's some good bass in the next uh, song that kicks off the, the sermon. Otherwise, you guys aren't even going to know when to, to, to be ready for a sermon. You're going to be sitting there, wait, has the sermon begun? There's been no bass. Anyways, okay, here we go. This is the last week of our series, The Holy Spirit. Um, as part of this series, all we've been doing is looking at um, the ways that the Holy Spirit has moved in ages prior to our own. Um, in order to really see and to rethink the spirit of our own age. That's really it. We want to rethink the spirit of our own age. And in so many ways, as I've said multiple times, all we've done is started on the left side of this thing and read to the right side of this thing. And just seeing how the Holy Spirit has moved, how he has worked. And through this, we have slowly been getting closer and closer to our own age. We have been getting closer and closer to the age of today. The last several weeks we've been in the book of Acts, and I had someone even just last night tell me, um, just so you know, every time we talked about the Holy Spirit in the past, we've just only been in the book of Acts. And this series has just been so good in showing how the Holy Spirit has moved really through the history of humanity, um, right back to the very beginning. And if you miss some of that, feel free to go back. Then you won't miss out on those sweet beats anymore. Uh, you can check it out on our podcast. You can also go to YouTube, and all of those are up both as video and as audio. Um, but for us, we believe, especially now as we've been in Acts and we're wrapping up the series today, that this really is the story of today. There are some people who believe that when the Bible closed, that all that stuff stopped that it ceased. They are called cessationists. They believe that the stories you find in here are no longer applicable for today, that these things no longer happen. And for us, our story, the way we are as a church is we believe that the story of Acts is our story. We believe that where we are today is very much where the church was in Acts. And so for some people, they, they, they struggle with that because they ask the question, and I want to tackle this question right up front. Well, how come if we believe that we are a continuation of the church of Acts, how come we don't see the things that happened in the book of Acts, like the, the miracles that happened in the book of Acts? How come that stuff happened, didn't happen, or isn't happening today? How come it's not still going on? And I think, great question. Let me answer that with three kind of answers. Number one, the book of Acts, when it was written, took place over 30 years. This was not one week in one church. 
It happened over 30 years, and you are seeing highlights. It's not all the miracles that happened during that time, but you see miracles, and it's all around the Mediterranean. This isn't happening in one church. It's happening everywhere, and you have a, 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 the story kind of weaved all together into one. And so if you think the book of Acts all happened within a week, it didn't. It was over a 30-year period, okay? So, so even as you read the book of Acts, read it in that way. But then still, some people say, well, why don't people get healed now like they did then? And to that, I would say they do sometimes. They do. In fact, um, there was a guy, or is a guy, his name is Craig Keener, and he decided what he wanted to do is he wanted to just write a book about the various miracle stories that have happened. And he didn't try to prove whether they happened or didn't. He just collected stories from people around the world and what um, happened in those stories. And he wrote a book, and it wasn't enough. So he wrote a second volume to the book. He called it Miracles. It's 1,172 pages long. He said afterwards, if I had gotten a research grant and a year, I could have made it four times as long which would have been really terrible because I had to read this book uh, as part of, of uh, my, my last class. And so I'm glad he didn't get a research grant and uh, have a year in order to write it. He just collected these stories. One of my favorite statements in the whole thing actually is in the introduction. In the introduction here, he says right up front, here's what he says. He says, I acknowledge up front that my personal interest in writing this book includes challenging the prejudice of Western anti-supernaturalist readings of the gospel and acts. I believe that anti-supernaturalism has reigned as an inflexible Western academic premise long enough and that significant evidence now exists to challenge it. What is he saying? This stuff actually happens. And, and remember, this is, and if you read that and you're like, wow, that's kind of academic-y language. It is, and it's intentionally academic-y language. Because this is now the world we live in. While there are many things, I'm sure, that are rough as a result of postmodernism, one of them is this, that you cannot challenge someone else's story. Well, you've got a story too. And so what he is saying is, You cannot challenge the fact that these people tell these stories. This is what happened to me. And the academic world is shifting in this way. So he writes an academic volume of here's some supernatural stories and says, now you cannot challenge the supernatural stories you find in the gospel. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, But I am glad that he didn't write four times as much because otherwise I'd still be reading them. At some point you can check them out. They are good. So there is now a new openness to that and an openness to the Holy Spirit. So that's the second thing I would say. It does happen today. It does. All right, now let me give you the third thing I would say. Sometimes it doesn't happen. But sometimes it didn't happen in Acts too. Sometimes it didn't happen in the stories in the Gospels. Not everybody was healed. Not everybody was healed in Acts. In fact, as I read Acts, I, I am left asking the question, how come Peter and John were delivered, but John's brother James wasn't? Why were Peter and John delivered, but James was martyred? I would imagine John was asking that question too, 
Why, why did my brother die and yet God delivered me? And, and even Peter asked this question of Jesus, right? At the end of John, he says, and what about John? Because Jesus, Jesus uh, Peter, Peter is delivered. And then a couple decades later, he's martyred. So he's delivered in order to be killed. These things don't always make a ton of sense to us. And, and sometimes we are asking the question, why? Why, why, why? Well, they were asking that question in Acts. They were asking that question. Peter asked that question of Jesus. He says, well, what about that guy? Talking about John. How, because Peter is told by Jesus that, man, the end of his life is not going to go the way that he's going to expect it to go. And he turns around and he says, well, what about John? And Peter, Jesus essentially tells Peter, that is not for you to know. And so just as there was today or there are today moments where we don't necessarily know the answers to these questions— They didn't then as well. But the miraculous does happen today. In fact, before we go any further, how many of you in here have witnessed or experienced a miracle? Keep those hands up. If you are not raising your hand, look around. This stuff happens today. This is our story. Just like it did then, these things are happening for us. Okay? So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to read one more story. Before we do that, I'm going to ask you to go to praise.fyi and go to the message notes because right at the beginning of the message notes is a super short anonymous survey. Really simple to fill out. You just have to tap a couple of responses. Um, and, and I'm going to ask you to do that and submit it. I would love it if you would take the time to do that really quick. This is super helpful for me. Um, I won't be sharing results uh, with anybody. Well, maybe I will. We'll see. Uh, But it's anonymous, so nobody's going to know who said what. Uh, But this is is just really fast, uh, just asking what your experience has been with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are three questions. They They aren't trying to lead you towards anything. This is just me asking real questions of you, what has been your experience. Even if you're not the type of person to pull out your phone and get on it in church, please do it uh, anyways, because otherwise it'll skew the results. And so the only people who will be answering will be those who are comfortable getting on their phones in church, and those people aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit anyway. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. That, I didn't mean that. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Wow. Wow. That's like the exact opposite of everything I've been trying to say in this whole series. Okay, 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 okay. All right, here we go. But today's message is called The Era of the Ordinary. The Era of the Ordinary. Here's what we're going to do today. We are going to read one final story. And there are tons of places we could go in order to get this story. But um, what we are looking for in this story is something in particular. We are looking for a phrase in the story. We are looking for the phrase filled with the Holy Spirit somewhere in Acts. And it happens a bunch. It happens in a bunch of stories. Um, But we are looking for someone doing something that it says they did that thing filled with the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about the three big moments where the Holy Spirit takes charge, where he steps to the center stage, and he says, now it's my turn to do something. And all three of those times, we started noticing a trend with them. Well, now we're going to step away from those, and we're going to talk about 
the many times in Acts where it doesn't say that the Holy Spirit is doing something. It says that someone is doing something filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So as I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, where do we go? I figured probably just the first time we see it in the book of Acts is probably the best place to start. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 4. This is the first time in the book of Acts that you find someone do something, and it says they did that thing, quote, filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to search too hard to find them. They're all over Acts. Um, But this is the very first time after Acts chapter 2 where it says that. Okay, so in Acts chapter 2, where we were a couple of weeks ago, um, is the, the, the moment when uh, Pentecost happens. The disciples are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And as part of that, they begin to share. And many people are added to the church, it says. 3,000 are added to the church. Right at the end of that sermon, it then says just some kind of general information about the kind of stuff that's happening in the church. And then right after that, it says one afternoon, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. When they do, this is all happening in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, nowhere does it say that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? It just says that on their way to the temple, Peter and John are walking in, and there's a guy there who is disabled. And he has been asking for money. And Peter says, I I got no money for you. But he says, what I do have, I give to you. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the guy does it which blows everyone's minds because they have seen this guy doing this for so long that they know his story and they cannot deny it, right? So Peter, being Peter, does not waste this opportunity. He gets up and he begins to preach a sermon. All of that is found in Acts chapter 3. Nowhere in that does it say that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that phrase. It's obvious he is, but it doesn't say that phrase. Then you turn to Acts chapter 4, and I assume Acts chapter 4 is supposed to be the middle of the sermon, but they're interrupted. Acts chapter 4, verse 1, is where we're going to read. And we're going to read all the way down to verse 31, so it's going to be a lot. Acts chapter 4, verse 1, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So they're arrested, they are put in jail, the word of God is not, right? So they can't do anything. The word of God is still working. So while they are in jail, the word of God is still at work by the power of the Holy Spirit in people. And now more are added to the church as well as others believe too. So they are in the temple courts, it says, which probably means that they're on top of the temple mount, that big rectangle that was built by Herod. And they're preaching there. And this is the sphere of influence of the priests. And the priests do not like the things that they are hearing. Uh, It says that they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the ones who were in power, right? We hear a lot in the Gospels about the Pharisees. Well, what's really interesting is Jesus had lots of run-ins in the Gospels with the Pharisees. The disciples in Acts 
had lots of run-ins with the Sadducees. The Pharisees are mentioned a ton in the Gospels. And then in Acts, it's the Sadducees that are mentioned. And a lot of us are like, well, that means nothing to us. Pharisees and Sadducees both sound like something you go to the doctor for. And uh, you're like, man, I got a bad case of the Pharisees. I got to get this taken care of. Like, but, but specifically, let's talk about the Sadducees. What was really interesting, uh, let's back up. The Sadducees in particular had the Pharisees, you find in Acts, actually begin start turning to Jesus. You find multiple Pharisees, including Paul, but others as well, who put their faith in Jesus. And they have their own struggles because of the fact that they are coming from that particular movement. It, it talks about that in Acts, that there are Pharisees who believe certain things because of the things that they are carrying with them into their Christian faith. And so they have their own battles. The Sadducees, however, are the people who were in power in Jerusalem. And the Sadducees had all kinds of problems with Jesus because the Sadducees believed or didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in the literal coming of the Messiah. And they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Can you understand why they would have a problem with Jesus? Like, because like he was ministered to by angels. He drove out demons. He was the literal coming of the Messiah. And he was resurrected from the dead. Like there is no alignment between the Sadducees and Jesus. And so in the, in the Acts in particular, you find that the, the disciples, as they are talking about Jesus dying and rising again and what that means for humanity, that the Sadducees in particular really struggled with it. But the Pharisees begin coming to faith. The Sadducees, though, are the ones who are in power, and it says that they, as a result, they um, uh, press back against the disciples. And here, as they're in charge, this arrest is not by the Romans. This is by the Sadducees. So they are put in some sort of jail that is like a religious jail. So they are put in church jail. And sometimes I wish we still had that. Like, that would be really great. Like, I, I don't know who I would put in there, but boy, it would be nice to have the threat of church jail. Um, church jail? Anyways, okay. So, so, but they are thrown into jail, and it says that they stay in there until the next day. And the reason why is that nobody is tried at night. That is highly improper. Except Jesus was tried at night. And so for them, though, this is properly done. They are thrown in jail until the next day, verse 5. The next day, the council of the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other priests or other relatives of the high priest. And they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Okay, now remember, this is just several months after Jesus stood before many of these same people and was tried illegally at night, but he stood before these people, and they tried him, and they condemned him to death. And now Peter and John are standing before them again, and very much, this is done properly, but as a result, they have that same threat hanging over them. Now remember, the last time what happened with Peter? He was afraid of a servant girl because they were in Caiaphas's courtyard and right outside Caiaphas's house. And this girl says, hey, I know that you know Jesus. And Peter was like, wouldn't even say Jesus's name. He just said, I don't know the man, right? So, so now here comes Peter and John 
in front of many of these same people. And this time, the question is, how will they respond? Whose name did you do this in? In whose power did you do this thing? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to you, let me clearly state to you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom Jesus raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Slightly different response from Peter this time. Massive shift. He not only says the name of Jesus, but he is clear that it is only the name of Jesus by which they can experience salvation. And he is clear that it is the same Jesus that these people crucified, among others as well, crucified. And then he says, he pulls in Psalm 118, that he was the the stone that the builders rejected who has become the cornerstone. What's really interesting is, when we went to Israel... We saw this, but more than likely, more likely than anything else, is the fact that Jesus was crucified in a stone quarry. When Jesus was hung on the cross, he was hung on the cross in an old abandoned quarry. So when Peter stands up in front of these guys and he says, the stone that you rejected has become the cornerstone. They feel that. Because they know where Jesus was crucified. If Peter came up with this, now he's not the first one to say it. Jesus once said this of himself. He took Psalm 118 and applied it to himself. But Peter is the first one to say it. And by the way, he says it again. At the, uh, much later when he's writing his letters, Um, he says it there as well. He brings this same thing to the front because this is a big idea to Peter, okay? But when Peter says this, if he came up with this on his own, he would be the best preacher of all time. This is genius. This is brilliant. This is beautiful. This is perfect. It illustrates better than anything else what happened here and what it means for them. It's absolute perfection. But it doesn't say that Peter came up with this himself. It says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a phrase that Luke will use a lot. Someone does something, and it says that they do it filled with the Holy Spirit. Which, like, makes me wonder, well, what about the times when they're not filled with the Holy Spirit? Or when it doesn't say that they are filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, Is it like they're drained? The Spirit's drained out of them? And then like when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like they're filled back up to the top? Is that what that means? Like how come 
Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 heal the guy, and never once in Acts chapter 3 does it say that they heal the guy filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I think it's important to kind of visualize what that must be like, right? So for somebody to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because all through Acts, Luke's used the, Luke uses this language over and over again. He says, somebody prophesies filled with the Holy Spirit. Someone preaches in this instance filled with the Holy Spirit, or, or somebody heals somebody filled with the Holy Spirit. Someone steps out in faith filled with the Holy Spirit. So, what it means, I think, when it says that the Holy Spirit fills somebody is this. That specifically, in that moment, that there is more than just a filling. It's like an overflowing. Because we aren't clear, and you can't look at somebody and immediately say, just by looking at them, this person is filled with the Holy Spirit. So how do you know when somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit? It's when they are so filled that it is overflowing out of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Never once does it say of Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he sat in his chair. Never once does it say of somebody, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said nothing. Every time it says that somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, there is this sense of the fact that it is overflowing out of them. How do you know when somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit? When it cannot contain it, right? And that is not saying that they're not filled with the Holy Spirit the rest of the time. Obviously they are. Acts chapter 3 couldn't have happened if he didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of him. But in this moment, as Luke is talking about this story, when he stands in front of the people, you know what's happening because it is overflowing out of them. Do you understand what this is saying? When it overflows is the moments when it says that it is filled, that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at every occasion where Luke uses it, and it is obvious that that is the thing that is happening. So here with Peter and with John, as they are standing before these these leaders, as they begin to speak, they are overflowing with the Holy Spirit. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you know that because it's obvious it is pouring out of them, right? And this is something that has been promised to them. What, What happens here for Peter and John is something that Jesus told them that would happen. Right? And, and in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them talk about the fact that Jesus said this moment would come. And he said, when this moment comes, something will happen. And I want to read them to you, not Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm just going to focus on Matthew and Luke, because Luke talks about it twice. And there's something really interesting that you notice. So I'm going to go over to Matthew chapter 10, verse 19 first. This is what, um, how Matthew talks about the fact that Jesus said this to them. Verse 19. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. So in that moment, hey, don't worry about it. This is, by the way, what I do every Sunday morning. I figure no preparation, like I just get up here and I'll start to talk and the Holy Spirit will put the slides together for us and make sure that the right videos are prepared and the nice beats are happening. That bumper video just came out of nowhere. Like, it just, anyways, okay. So, but he says, when the time comes and you are standing in front of people who, who are trying you in that moment specifically, something will happen. He says, the Spirit, listen to the exact language in these, the Spirit of the Father. The spirit of your father 
I think specifically it says. The spirit of your father speaking through you. Now let's go over to Luke chapter 12, verse 11. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. So you've got the spirit of the father, of your father. And then you've got the Holy Spirit. And then later in Luke, in Luke chapter 21, verse 14, it says, So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you. For I, Jesus, will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. So the Spirit, the Father, and Jesus are all in that room with Peter and John by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is in that room in this moment when it says they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John are standing before this group, and I wonder if the night before when they were in jail, if they talked about it. So what are you going to say? Man, I have no idea. Hey, you remember that one time when Jesus promised us that when we stand before those who have arrested us, that he will give us the words to say? I don't know. Maybe. But certainly he does it. Because they stand before this group, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they are not only not afraid to say the name of Jesus. They make the best statement that you could ever make about salvation. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Peter is filled with the Spirit. Verse 13, as a result, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Yeah, I bet they were amazed. How do you think this normally went for this group of people? Like, first they put them in a jail overnight, church jail, and they say, let them stew there for a little bit, and then we'll bring them out tomorrow, and we'll have a little fun at their expense. And along come Peter and John, and the experience is not at all what they were expecting. I don't know exactly what they were expecting. I would imagine most people who, it says, were unschooled. The literal there is really interesting, actually. The, the literal there for ordinary men is, um, it, it essentially means illiterate men. They were men who did not know how to write and or read. So this is how they were viewed. They were men who could not write or read. They were ordinary men. And then when it says no special training, you know what the Greek word for that is? Idiotes. <laughs> Which is, by the way, if you get down through French and then into Middle English, where we get the word idiots from. So women, this is a good verse to memorize the next time you have a disagreement with your loved one. Ordinary men are idiots, is what this scripture says. I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> but these guys, they are expecting something unique from. How many times do you think that unschooled or un, people who were not trained in how do you stand in front of this council and speak, 
How many times do you think they brought people? And how many times do you think those people came in cowering? And yet Peter and John in this moment are not cowering. They stand and Peter says what needs to be said and it absolutely stumps them. This is like that moment when you were in elementary school and you get summoned to the principal's office. You know that intimidation as you're walking and you don't know what it was about? I got summoned to the principal's office one time, Mrs. Germanata's office, and just that name alone struck fear into my heart, Mrs. Germanata. Whew. Like, I get chills just saying her name right now, Mrs. Germanata. It's like Mufasa. Like, Mrs. Germanata. I was summoned one time on recess or during recess. I was outside playing, and someone came up behind me and kicked me right in the butt. And I'm like, why'd you do that? And the guy was like, I don't know. So we go back inside, teacher saw it, and I get summoned to the principal's office. And I'm like, what did I do? The entire walk, I'm so afraid. And Mrs. Germanata just, just said, hey, listen, um, I heard what happened at, at uh, recess, and she had the other kid there, and she said, I just want to give you an opportunity to kick him in the butt back. So she made him turn around and bend over literally right in front of me, which is how I think they still handle this. I'm like, I'm not kidding. This happened. And uh, she was like, go ahead. Just go ahead and kick him. And I just decided instead to turn the other cheek, which, (laughs) this really happened. Okay, so. I said, no, I'm not going to kick him, which, like, is the only answer in that situation, right? Like, you're not going to kick him right in front of the principal. But she treated me after that like I was Mother Teresa. Like, <laughs> wow, how great is this? And, but that was, like, the only response. But I, as much as I remember that moment, and it's seared in my memory for so many reasons, um, the, one of those is the moment when I was walking to the principal's office and how much intimidation I felt And can you imagine what that night before must have been like, knowing what happened to Jesus just months before? But then maybe as they're talking, they were reminded of that statement by Jesus. Hey, listen, in that moment, the Holy Spirit, the Father, I will give you the words to say. And he does. Peter gets up. He's incredibly eloquent. He nails this opportunity. And they recognize Probably one of the best statements you find in Acts. They recognize that these men had been with Jesus. How cool of a statement is that to be said of the people of God? These people have been with Jesus. And they can't refute it. Ordinary people who had been with Jesus. Verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, and there was nothing the council could say, so they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. 
So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Now, I don't pretend to be a genius, but I will say, I think they're asking the wrong question here, right? Like they themselves say, the guy who was healed is standing right here. Peter preaches a fire sermon. They recognize that these men had been with Jesus, and they're not alone in the room. It's Peter and John, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet, in spite of all of that, they still don't ask the right question. Somehow, they are totally unable to get to the truth, which brings me to probably the worst from this whole series, the worst and most sad truth that you have to recognize. Have you ever seen the difference between how ground receives water depending on how saturated it is? So ground that's wet versus ground that is dry, how well it receives water. You can do this um, as a, an experiment. Somebody already did, so I've got a video of it for you. Here it is. On the left side is ground that is wet. On the far right side is ground that has been through a severe drought. And how well it receives water. This is also true of the Holy Spirit. I have said all the way through this series that the Holy Spirit is calling and drawing and speaking to everyone. But the sad truth is, the more we refuse that, the more we refuse to hear that, the more we deny his presence, the more we ignore his work, the harder it is to hear, the harder it is to see, and the harder it is to receive. This is the story of Romans chapter 1. It is painful to watch as someone who has refused it time and time again. I'm not saying there isn't something still happening because the Holy Spirit never gives up. But when ground dries out, it does not receive water. And the harder and the more dry the ground, the more difficult it is for the Holy Spirit to saturate. These leaders were sitting in the room with Peter and John and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they still missed it. That's harsh. And do you think the Holy Spirit had been speaking to these people? We know he has. Because, you know who else isn't in that room? Luke. Who wrote this. So how does he know what was said when Peter and John leave? Because somebody on that council, and we know there are some, did hear. It's not monolithic. It's not like the entire council responded this way. There are some that the Holy Spirit did deal with to the point of them coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so not everybody there doesn't receive it, but you do see that the majority 
don't. The final decision of the group, let's stop this thing from spreading. So they uh, say, called them back in and commanded them never again to speak and teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Verse 23, and as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and all the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. They asked for healing for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ being glorified. They asked for boldness in preaching, and the meeting place was shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and preached the good news of Jesus Christ. So they gathered, they met, they were filled, and then they preached. This is our story. This is what we do when we gather. We gather, hopefully the place is shaken, and the Holy Spirit fills us, and we go, and we preach, and we share the good news of the Word of God, and we are bold. This is the Pentecostal experience. And this is the beauty of this whole series, because some would read this chapter. Some would read this chapter. Chapter 4 is to be more bold. They would say the message of Acts chapter 4 is to stand up for your faith. They would say that the message of Acts chapter 4 is to step forward or do more or to step out, which is not what I believe the message of Acts chapter 4 is. I believe the message of Acts chapter 4 is this. That every time we step into any situation that the Holy Spirit, if we want him to, will fill us and we will overflow in order to meet the needs of that situation. That if we seek him, that he will provide what is necessary in that hard moment. This is what makes you and I different as Pentecostals. That the way we read Acts chapter 4 is this, that we seek and receive 
the help of the Holy Spirit, and then we live and do out of that. It's not do more, it's seek more, it's receive more, it's search more for more of his help. That the promise of Acts chapter 4 is that when we do find ourselves in situations, that the Holy Spirit is someone we draw from, and he fills us to the point where it is obvious to everybody around because we are overflowing. Do you hear that? That is the message of Acts chapter 4. And what I find so interesting in the book of Luke and Acts is, even as you look at the shift between Luke to Acts, in, in the Gospels, of course, the main character is Jesus. He's the main character. But then you wonder, who is the main character of Acts? Is Jesus the main character of Acts? Is the Holy Spirit the main character of Acts? But then you step back and you go, wait a second. When you read Acts... The Holy Spirit is mentioned 59 times. Peter is actually mentioned more than the Holy Spirit in Acts. He's mentioned 76 times. And Paul, he's mentioned 193 times. Now there is no doubt that everything that Peter and Paul do is by the power of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, when you read the book of Acts, what you find is... That in the same way that the Holy Spirit pushed Jesus to center stage, he does that also with Peter and Paul. And he says, glorify Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The the story of Acts. See, some people read the Bible and they say the Bible is only about God. Ah, not so fast. The Bible is about God and his people and how we interact. And we are a part of this story. And most of us, we read the story of Acts and we read of Peter and John and standing before a Sanhedrin or a a council of leaders and we think, okay, I can't identify with that. Right? Like we read it and we go, okay, if I'm somebody in the Bible, it's not Peter or Paul, right? Like we read this and we're like, I've never stood in front of a council of people who are telling me not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, there are some who do, but most of us have trouble identifying in the book of Acts with these people, Peter and Paul and John. You know who we don't have trouble identifying with? Peter and Paul and John before Jesus. We have no trouble identifying with Peter and Paul and John before the Holy Spirit lays a hold of them. Like we read of Peter and everybody says, oh man, I see myself as Peter. Not in Acts. <laughs> I see myself as Peter and Mark, you know, just wandering around saying dumb things. That's me. The Peter of Mark is the Peter of Acts. The only difference is now they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've been forgiven because of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit has so laid hold of his life That whereas he was afraid of a servant girl, now he stands in front of that servant girl's boss, Caiaphas. And he says to him, there is no other name but Jesus under heaven for which we can or by which we can be saved. Same guy. You see, that's our story. Our story is this, that the age we are now in, it is the era of the ordinary of ordinary people by the power of the Holy Spirit who do impossible things. 
It is not that Peter and Paul have something figured out that we don't have figured out. They are the same guys, but the Holy Spirit uses them. So if you see yourself as someone in this story, be the person in the story who seeks the power and presence and filling of the Holy Spirit. And when the time comes, praise for healing, pray for healing, but pray for healing that Jesus Christ will be glorified. And when someone comes against your faith, pray for boldness and see what happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray for boldness because your circle needs you. Pray for boldness because your circle needs the Holy Spirit. Pray for boldness because ultimately your circle needs Jesus Christ. And Peter and John were not the only guys preaching. They were all preaching. That 5,000 was not just in two shots. Okay? This is a building thing as everybody who is involved is participating in it. All of us are involved in this process. And even if you never stand on this stage, you need the exact same boldness that Peter and Paul and John and James and everybody had. Okay? We all need that boldness. I remember I was sharing this on Thursday night with the young adults. And before they headed out for fall breaks, many headed out for fall break this weekend. But as I was sharing with him on Thursday about my own story and how the Holy Spirit laid hold of my life and I was introduced to Jesus Christ. And at the time I was at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse and I've shared some of this story before, but the Holy Spirit, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit late at night in the study room of my dorm with sonic flood playing. And as I was worshiping God, this experience happened that I had no preacher explain to me. I didn't have somebody tell me this is what you can expect. And there alone with nobody else around, I had this experience. And I had to think, okay, this is happening to somebody else too. I mean, it's got to be. I'd never heard of the AG before this. Like this is a new thing for me. I got baptized in water in an evangelical free church. And I didn't know it was an evangelical free church. It was just a church. And I went there to get dunked in water because this was the act of faith that I saw. And all of this happened within like a month period after I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. Bang, bang, bang. In my situation, that's what happened. But it was not just for me. Because shortly thereafter, within days... One of my friends who I had met after accepting Jesus Christ invited me to come out with her and another friend to talk. Her friend didn't know Jesus. And as I was sitting there in the room with them, I felt like God was saying to me, and I couldn't, I didn't have the words to be able to describe what was happening, but I felt like God said to me, this person's problem, because she was very resistant to the gospel, is that she does not believe that anybody can love her. How's that for saying something like that to somebody? And yet, already within a month or so, the Holy Spirit had nurtured me in obedience to his voice. And so I said, I believe that you believe that no one could love you. And she face-planted in tears in tears 
is the Holy Spirit took a deep truth that she, or a deep lie that she had believed for so long and turned it around. We introduced her to Jesus Christ. That moment changed her life, changed my friend's life, and changed my life. Because that was the moment when I realized biomedicine is not for me. There is something else. And this is the experience of somebody who has no right to be bold. Someone who has no right to know what to say, stepping forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our story. This is the Pentecostal story. So here's what we're going to do to end this whole series. We are going to take a moment and we are going to pursue boldness. We are going to pursue boldness. We are going to ask for miracles. We are going to ask for healings. We are going to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to change your circle's life. Because you may not see yourself as Peter or John, but Peter and John were ordinary men. That's what it says. They were ordinary men. And we are in the era of the ordinary. And the Holy Spirit can use you and can use me in order to affect, impact, and change ground from wet to dry. Wherever they are, the Holy Spirit can still use you because this is how he works. This is how he works. There are unique moments in Acts where he steps to the center and he says, now it's my turn. And we talked about that last week. But the rest of the time, he takes Peter and pushes him to the center. He takes John and pushes him forward. He takes Paul and says, oh yeah, I know you're a Pharisee. Oh yeah, (laughs) I know you hate the church and pushes him to the center. And God can do anything through ordinary people who are empowered by the, the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna ask for boldness. And maybe, just maybe, this place will be shaken. And maybe, just maybe, in a conversation with a loved one, you will have words you ought not have. And maybe, just maybe, in that room, which has always been dry, you will sense and know the power of the Holy Spirit in a thick way.